I want to welcome you guys to the Bay Area Church of Christ. I see some faces I don't recognize. A special welcome to our visitors. A special welcome to our members. We're honored to have you here this morning to worship with us on this Palm Sunday. As you can see, things have been decorated very beautiful this morning uh, by Cindy Hartman, so we thank her for that. Next Sunday, Tim's going to preach a message on Easter. But before that message on Easter, we have this message on Palm Sunday. We know the order of events. Before there's any Good Friday, any Easter Sunday, there is Palm Sunday. Before the trial, the execution, and more importantly, the resurrection, there is the triumphal entry. So we're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to spend most of our time there this morning. And I trust you do have your Bibles, right? All right. Amen. I remind you of what I've said in the past, that if you don't have your Bible when you come to church, you are underdressed. So always have your Bibles when you come to worship. This morning I want us to look carefully at what led up to the events that took place before the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. I want us to walk through this section of Scripture and see what lessons the Lord is trying to teach us. But I want to tell you up front, I don't really plan to tell you anything new. Now there might be something new in here that you learned this morning, but the goal is not to tell you anything new. I want to simply bring to memory what you already know. Personally, I like when things are obvious. Sometimes I find it humorous when things are really obvious. And so I want to share some things this morning with you not just in the lesson, but some headlines of things that are obvious. Let's get into this. I don't know why it's necessary to have this sign that says, do not breathe under the water, but maybe they were having problems with people breathing under the water. And so this morning I also want to share with you some articles, some headlines from different newspapers that I found to be very obvious and somewhat humorous. This first one, survey finds dirtier subways after cleaning jobs were cut. Actual headline. This next one, larger kangaroos leap farther, research finds. Light meals are lower in fat and calories. Actual headline. This next one, alcohol ads promote drinking. That kind of what you expect, right? This next one, officials say that only rain will cure drought. Low wages said to be the key to poverty. Man run over by freight train dies. I think my mom may have written this last one, this next one. Free advice, bundle up when it's cold out. Economists use theory to explain economy. Bible church's focus is the Bible. Court rules boxer shorts are indeed underwear. <laughs> Actual headlines. Biting nails can be a sign of tenseness in a person. How we feel about ourselves is the core of self-esteem. 
And finally, fish lurk in streams. I don't know where people would expect to find fish, but streams and other bodies of water are pretty much what I would expect. So some of those are funny because they're so obvious. And as I said earlier, my goal is to simply tell you what's probably very obvious this morning. Again, you might learn something new, but that's not really the goal. So let's get a bit of context as we get ready to read through Matthew chapter 21. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he has healed thousands of people. He's fed 5,000, he's fed 4,000, he's raised Lazarus and others from the dead. They've heard sermon after sermon, lesson after lesson, and it's no wonder that he's amassed such a large following. Some people think that Jesus was just a nice guy who taught nice lessons, and he had this quaint little following, when the truth is he was no less than the first century equivalent of a rock star. Wildly popular. We know from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen once he got there, but that was the focus of his ministry. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so now we pick up our lesson in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large, large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. <clears throat> So this morning I want us to try and put ourselves in context of what's going on. To put yourself in the day and time when this was written. You know, sometimes it's easy to miss some of the lessons that the Bible is trying to teach us. We want to really get into it this morning. Verse 4, it tells us that as Jesus was approaching the city, he had prophecy on his mind. This particular prophecy is found in the book of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and that happened to be written about 500 years before Jesus made his triumphal entry. So the people of the time would have known exactly what was going on. They would be very familiar with this verse. Jesus, of course, was very familiar with this verse, and obviously so were the Pharisees. Jesus is making it clear. When he got that donkey and he starts to ride into town, he is making it clear that he is king of Jerusalem. He is making it clear that he is king of Israel. And that's no small statement. They knew what he was saying. And so that brings me to my first point. Jesus is the king. You guys know that? Jesus is the king. Isn't that good news this morning? 
It really is. Now, I'm going to contrast something here because we're in an election year. Anybody know that? Has your phone been ringing off the hook? People want your vote. What do you, they want to give you survey. It's an election year. But Jesus is the king. So never mind the president. There's more than I want to talk to you about the king. Jesus makes it clear. He says it in this verse. He reemphasizes it in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And he says it again to Pilate in Matthew 27, verse 11. You know, some people got a problem with Jesus being king. They don't like that. They don't like the fact that Jesus is king. They just want him to be a teacher. They want him to be a nice guy who goes around saying nice things. But guess what, church? Jesus is king whether you want him to be or not. He is, in fact, the king. And a king is very different from a president. You know, this election year, people seem mighty concerned about who gets elected. Have you noticed that? Now, there's some people claiming that if so-and-so gets elected, they're going to leave the country. They say, well, if this person gets elected, I'm going to leave the country. Okay. Regardless of where you go, Jesus is still king. You don't like the president, Jesus is still the king. And it concerns me that I see some Christians who are so worried about who gets elected. Do you know who really runs this country? It's not the president, it's the king. Some people have taken their eye off who is really in charge. And this one, I just want to refocus you. Jesus is the king. I want to remind you what it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Now, you know the verse, but some of you don't like it. But we're going to read it anyway. Romans 13, 1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God's in control. Jesus is the king. So don't worry about who gets elected. But you don't elect the king. He's king whether you want him to be or not. He's not king because of popularity. He's king by virtue of who he is. You don't vote for a king. There's no term limits on a king. He's king forever and ever. Amen? I love that. Now notice also, because he's king, there's no checks and balances. He's sovereign. You don't have to worry about him having to work with other people to try and get things accomplished. No, he is sovereign. He is in control. And so I say it again, Jesus is the king. That is my first point this morning. <clears throat> so let's continue. So we get this idea that Jesus is the king, right? That's great. But why is he riding on a donkey? Why not some other mode of transportation? You know, a nice horse, maybe a chariot of some sort? I did a little bit of research, and they said that basically the donkey was a symbol of peace. And that is how a king would arrive in a town when he meant peace. Contrast that to riding on a horse, which usually meant war. So knowing what Jesus was there to accomplish, his ultimate mission of peace was accomplished on the cross. And so he rides in the town on a donkey. Now look at verses 8 through 11 because it lays out something that I think is pretty common. <clears throat> After Jesus gets on the donkey, essentially, 
a parade breaks out. It's an ancient tradition, but we still do something similar today when a hero comes into town, when we have a sports team that's returned from victory. Oftentimes they'll have a parade. But look at this part about the people. They lay down their cloaks. I want you to think about this. They took off what they were wearing and they laid it on the ground so that Jesus could ride by on it. They also took some palm branches and they spread those out on the road as well. And you know what that brings to mind? When you attend a wedding, and before the bride comes out, oftentimes there's a runner. And then maybe a flower girl is walking and she's spreading petals in honor of the bride that's about to walk down the aisle. You see that same type of imagery right here as Jesus is riding in town. And so now as Jesus is riding in town, the people are shouting, Hosanna, which literally means save, a form of praise. These people recognize that Jesus has come from the Lord. And it's a beautiful scene. And if it ended right here, you'd think everything was just great. But you and I know that's not the case. On the surface, it looks like everyone is happy. And then no one has a complaint. But we read the same story over in the book of Luke. Chapter 19, verse 39 through 40. <clears throat> Some of the Pharisees in the crowd say to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now I want to look at this for just a moment. Have you ever noticed something? First of all, let's look at the Pharisees. They say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They say, Hey, turn it down. It's too loud. We don't want to hear this. How many of you listen to the radio? And then when your song come on, you know, you like, you riding along, everything's fine. Like, oh, that's my jam. What you do? Turn it up. When you like the song, turn it up. You don't like the song, what happens? Turn it down. Somebody rides up next to you playing some music you don't like, turn it down. I don't want to hear that. Many of you know I don't like country music. I never turn up country music. Turn it down, turn it off. Some of you feel that way about other genres. Some of you don't like hip-hop. I understand. Turn that down. I don't want to hear it. It's too loud. Look at the Pharisees. People are praising Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Rebuke your disciples. Not only do they not want to participate, they don't want anyone else praising the Lord. Hypocrites often do that. Have you noticed that? Let's talk about praise and worship for just a minute. Just a minute. God bless our song leaders. And, and I really mean that. God bless them. I think leading singing is the hardest thing you can do on Sunday morning. Because everybody has an opinion on how you should lead singing. Why you sing that song? Why don't we sing those songs? You always singing them new songs. That song's too loud. That song's too quiet. Why we always sing slow songs? And on and on it goes. And I'm guilty. I've been guilty of it as well. But you know what? When it's time to praise God, how about we just praise God? Let's not critique. Let's praise the Lord. 
Let me ask you something. Is Jesus here with us this morning? Absolutely he is. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And church, that's exactly what's going on this morning. So how about we praise the Lord like he's here with us? And speaking of praising the Lord, that brings me to my next point. You owe God some praise. You know that? You owe God some praise. Why do I say that? <clears throat> I want you to look at how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. In Luke 19, verse 40, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You think he was joking when he said that? Sometimes it makes me wonder. I think about it. Was Jesus serious? You know, sometimes there's been times where I thought somebody was joking about something, but they were, they were dead serious. And I didn't find out till later. You ever been there? You thought, oh, that was just a joke. No, it wasn't. About a year ago, got the flu, couldn't shake it. I go to the doctor. I go try and get some medicine, some antibiotics. They give me the checkup. They say, yeah, you're sick. Thank you. I already knew that. They say, we can write you a prescription for some antibiotics. We can also give you a shot right here in the office. That should help get you feel better faster. Hey, that's what I'm all about. Let's do it. They scared of no shot. Bring that on. Now, when I agreed to the shot, I did not know where I was going to get the shot. All right, y'all picking up what I'm putting down? I'm not going to get graphic, but I'm just going to say, I didn't know the location of the shot when I agreed to it. And so I'm sitting in the office, and the nurse comes in, and she says, okay. And she explains to me where I'm about to get this shot. And I think, you got to be kidding I mean, I'm a grown man. I mean, come on, like give me a shot in the arm or something, right? Nope. And I stood there thinking, you've got to be kidding. And, of course, any of you who are familiar with nurses at all, he's like, come on, I don't have all day. Let's go. <laughs> come on. And so, sure enough, I got the shot. I found out the hard way. She was dead serious. And so now we look at what Jesus is saying. The statement he makes is consistent with other verses that you read about. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, talks about stones of a wall and woodwork actually crying out. <clears throat> Genesis 4, chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 10, God says that Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. So this isn't really out of context. And I think Jesus was dead serious. I think what he's making clear, no, this is the right time and the right place for me to receive praise, and you're not going to stop it. Those people owe the Lord some praise. And I think the people in this room right now owe the Lord some praise as well. I think if the Lord woke you up this morning, you owe him some praise. I think if you're able to sit in this comfort of these pews in this church, you owe the Lord some praise. You know what? If you went to bed last night and you weren't hungry, you know where your next meal is coming from today, you owe the Lord some praise. I'm looking around at a group of people who get to worship the Lord in safety, without fear of persecution, you owe the Lord some praise. And so that's what we come to do this morning. I want us to read in the book of Psalms, verse 148, because it makes it very clear that not only do we owe the Lord praise, everybody and everything owes the Lord some praise. Turn to Psalm 148, please. Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. 
Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations. You princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women and old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. We owe the Lord some praise. And so my first point is that Jesus is king. My second point is that you owe the Lord some praise. And I want to shift gears just a minute before I get to my third and final point. We read about this great triumphal entry. We know that happened on a Palm Sunday. But we know that Friday. What we call Good Friday. We know that Jesus was tried and executed. You ever wonder what happened? Sunday he rides in as a hero, Friday they've condemned him. What happened? Just five days, they do a complete 180. Excuse me. They do a complete 180 in just five days. They go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify. And so I set out to try and find out, well, what could be the reason as I prepared for this sermon? And I thought, well, maybe there's a number of reasons. But the truth is, there's no good reason for doing the wrong thing. There's no way to justify condemning an innocent man, let alone the Messiah. But so I'm looking through the verses, and I'm trying to find, well, what happened in chapter 21 versus what happened, what led up to the crucifixion. And I thought, well, maybe it's because they didn't like when Jesus overturned their tables at the end of Matthew 21. Or maybe they didn't like it in Matthew 22 when they said, when Jesus said, you should pay taxes to Caesar. After all, they called him king, so maybe they wanted him to overthrow the Romans. And all the stuff I could find, the only verse that really makes any sense is this one right here. And it's in Matthew 27, verse 20. After Jesus was arrested and brought before Pilate, here's what we read. It's one simple verse. It says, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. And that's it. I think they simply listened to the wrong people. And that brings me to my last point. Who are you listening to? I want to ask you that. Who are you listening to? Because it's not enough to simply be a believer. Who are you obeying? We know the people of the day believed Jesus. They saw what he did. But when they listened to the wrong people, they had Jesus executed. I was taught growing up that listening and obedience were firmly connected. My mother would tell me to do something, and she wanted to make sure that I was listening so that I would be obedient. 
And if for some reason I didn't do what I was told, clearly I wasn't listening. Obedience and listening are closely tied together. If I listened to the wrong person, it would often end in disobedience. About a year ago, a cute little girl loses a tooth. She's six years old. She's excited to lose a tooth because last time she lost a tooth, her mom and dad gave her five bucks. That's big money when you don't have any bills. Five bucks will buy a lot of candy. And so she was excited. She lost a tooth and she said, you know what? I'm going to put my tooth under the pillow, the tooth fairy. Dad says, wait a minute. We've already told you. And by the way, this was news to somebody. Uh, first service, so go ahead and cover your kids' ears if you don't want them to know. We say, hey, there's no such thing as a tooth fairy. Okay, mom and dad say, we're just going to tell you the truth. You other parents, you can lie to your kids if you want to. All right, we're not going to judge. We say we're going to tell the truth, right? So she says, but my classmates say there's a tooth fairy. Mom and dad says there's no tooth fairy. Classmates says there's a, there is a tooth fairy. Who do you think she listened to? Listen to the classmates. So under the pillow, the tooth goes. You know what happened that night? Nothing. Exactly. And so the next morning, she's kind of moping around. She's all sad. And I say, why are you so sad? <laughs> I say, what's wrong? <laughs> Eventually, she tells me what I already know. She said, because the tooth fairy didn't come. And I said, I told you there's no such thing as a tooth fairy. But you chose to listen to your classmates, and now you're disappointed. And look, we're not going to lie to you. We give you this money. It doesn't come from some imaginary creature. Your mom and dad, we give you this money. It's no tooth fairy. So because she listened to the wrong people, she was sad. She was disappointed. And I ask you, who are you listening to? Because the message that God is giving you is very different from the message the world is giving you. The message that we were giving our daughter is very different than what first graders are giving our daughter. First graders don't know anything. <laughs> and neither does the world. God knows what he's talking about. So let me ask you. Do you believe God when he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Or do you believe you need all these other products, all these other things to make yourself beautiful? Who are you going to believe? The answer of who you're actually believing is probably found somewhere on your makeup shelf. Probably found somewhere in how you spend your time. Do you believe God when he tells you that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Or do you believe if you could just make a little bit more money, then you'll be happy. Then you'll have the life that you've always wanted. You can tell who you really believe by your spending habits. Look at your budget, or lack thereof. Do you believe God when he says, there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Or do you believe that, eh, your coworkers will be all right? 
You don't really have to tell them. As long as they're nice people, it'll all sort of work out. Who are you going to believe? You'll know your answer by whether or not you evangelize. Your obedience will show who you're listening to. And so I have one more verse that I want us to look at. And that's in John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And this morning, I simply want you to listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen for his voice. Not an audible voice from heaven. That would be weird. You're going to be waiting a long time for that. But listen to his voice through the word. Listen to what he's telling you. Now, maybe you've already tried living life on your own. Many of us in this room have tried it, and I can tell you from experience, it don't work. didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you. It doesn't work for anyone. Don't keep wasting your time trying to do things your way. Listen to the voice of God. Come to the same Jesus that rode into town that day on the first Palm Sunday. That triumphal entry, and just like those people, shout to him, Hosanna being saved. If there's anything we can do, any prayers that we can offer up, maybe you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. We have water right here. We move these palm fronds. We can get you baptized this morning. If there's anything we can do, join us down front. We stand and sing.